to another episode of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. I have a very special guest with me today. I have my friend Nick, who's here to talk with me about Isaiah 65 and Revelation 21. Welcome, Nick. Thanks for having me. Uh, very happy to be on. Long-time listener, first-time uh, first caller. <laughs> uh, excited to get into it today. Awesome. I mean, this is... Uh, honestly, um, we'll get into a little bit about... Um, why these particular passages popped out uh, later on. But first, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself and how faith plays a part in your life? Sure, no worries. Uh, I think probably like most people who have been on this podcast or who are fans of this podcast, I spent a long time uh, away from Christianity. So like I was the I was the teen atheist. So, so basically uh, in primary school, which is like elementary school for Americans, um, you know, my best friend was like a an Anglican, so I went to like the school Anglican scripture for a bit because I wanted to hang out with my friend. And uh, you know, because when when you're like a little kid, you have all of these. Uh, you know, maybe you can't think about everything super critically. So uh, uh, I definitely you know believed in what they ta- taught me, but uh, uh, every time that like something like hell came up, I really like hyper fixated on that. Uh, and was super scared of it. And so for like a couple of years, I was like, I guess a devout kind of like 10 year old Christian, but was like really terrified of like Satan and hell and everything. Mm. And I'd like, I'd like, uh, go to bed every night and like pray to God to like not send me to hell, like just really kind of scary stuff. Uh, and so because that was like pretty, uh, unhappy, as soon as I realized that like you could be an atheist, I was like, hey, this, that's awesome. I'm going to go do that. That's way more fun. <laughs> this is so um, much easier. <laughs> it's so much easier. Um, so I, I remember being like 12 and I'd, I'd look up like Hillsong music and I'd, I'd comment like hail Satan and, and stuff oh, like that. Oh, no. And, and I've, I've, I've actually since like gone through on, onto my uh YouTube, you, you can see all of your comments, like your your whole history. And I've looked at some of those and I've edited them to be like, hey, everyone, I'm doing I'm doing better now, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I was a pretty strong atheist for, for a while there. And then uh, uh, I started, I, I have a pretty firm belief in like intuition. And I think a lot of people have some kind of intuition about, you know, God or religion or spirituality uh, that they either choose to follow or they uh, just kind of ignore or push away or whatever. And I started getting this intuition maybe when I was uh, around 16, 17, uh, that, you know, maybe there was a God out there and I should start to do a bit more research on that. So I, you know, I, I opened up the books. I got on the Wikipedia, started reading. I got, I got very interested in like Judaism for a while, uh, which seems to be pretty common uh, among people like kind of the the leftist Christian uh, convert yeah. stereotype. A lot of people are interested in Judaism at first. Uh, but there was, you know, an obvious cultural kind of disconnect that made me not really want to commit, uh, as well as there being such certain rituals that I'd like to avoid, if you know what I mean. Um, uh, one in particular. Uh, and, yeah, so I, I was researching a little bit more and – 
I actually hadn't really even considered Christianity when I was following this intuition because it was like lame for me. It was like what I used to do when I was like 10 or 11. But one time I ended up reading the New Testament. I, th- I think I think it was some part of Matthew. And uh, I, I guess like the closest thing I have to having like a conversion experience is it was the first time in probably like uh, six years or, or seven years or something Uh that I, that I actually cried like I wept. I, I didn't cry throughout all of high school, which is year seven to 12 uh, in Australia, uh, which, I, which, I didn't, which I never thought of as being something like weird or anything. I thought that was just like, oh, I've hit puberty, you know, I'm going to stop crying. But as soon as I, uh, as soon as I read that, that bit of Matthew, I, like, I cried for the first time and it was such a uh, powerful feeling. And since then I've cried at a few things. I've cried at uh, some other bits of the Bible, you know, the, the end of every New Testament book, basically. <laughs> uh, I've also cried during um, there's two movies that stand out to me. One is Sling Blade with uh, Billy Bob Thornton. One is The Elephant Man uh, by David Lynch, uh, and it, it was weird crying for a movie, crying to a movie again for the first time. Uh, and and that, that's what kind of like convinced me. I was like, like, wow, that's insane that I've kind of unlocked this new. Uh, emotional level wow uh, yeah the god opened your heart exactly no that, that's <laughs> that's totally that's totally how i feel about it yeah that's so incredible yeah thank you so much for sharing i i think it's like uh it's it's hard to be vulnerable in this day and age right it, it we are encouraged sure. not to some of m- most of us i think in some way or another feel uh encouraged to sort of tamp down our feelings, stay strong, be mm-hmm. independent, not rely on anybody, um, and um, and then and then not to show your emotions outwardly because typically that shows a weakness. It shows um, yep. that you can't you can't hack it in the real world. But in all reality, like outward expressions of emotions are a sign that you are tuned into the real world, that you are part of the real world. Uh, and not just the real world of this like perverted, terrible, like uh, techno state that we live in now, but like the real world of our souls and our spirits uh, and and the things that that drive us in life uh, rather than just being like, um, I can make nasty jokes online and no one's ever gonna no one's ever gonna make me cringe. I'm I'm never going to be cringe. I'm going to be right. ba- I'm going to be based for the rest of my life. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad that I kind of realized that and, and grew out of that mentality uh, that I probably had through most of high school because it really is a like it doesn't feel great. It it can really be taxing. I think on your soul, uh, upholding the cringe mentality for too long. <laughs> so uh, I'm glad I'm glad I grew out of that. Yeah, I think the second that you can. Um, open yourself up to something that if you ever watch something and you, your immediate reaction is to like roll your eyes. I think that everyone's second reaction should be to pause, think about why it was that you felt that way and, and examine within yourself. Are you reacting this way because you feel like um, enjoying this portrays some kind of um, like nerdiness on your part or some right. kind of like embarrassing emotion on your part or some kind of like uncool, is it just uncool? Um, 
I mean, there's not to say that n- not all art is good, right? I mean, I really want to be sure. clear about that. I really yeah, think yeah, that there's yeah. stuff that's yeah. deserving of an eye roll. But yeah. um, there's so many things that I think we just like push away from ourselves yeah. because watching someone pour out their heart in earnest is terrifying to us. Absolutely. I, I think it, it was probably one of the uh, biggest steps in my maturity was the first time that I the first time that I heard Limp Biscuit and thought, actually, I can enjoy this. Because, <laughs> you know, for, for, for a while, you know, everyone loves to hate Limp Biscuit. Everyone loves to make fun of Limp Biscuit. you know. I get it. You know, Fred Durst is a silly guy in the media. So for a long time, I was like, any time I heard a Limp Biscuit song, I was like, oh, this is so bad. I want to listen to it because it's so bad and funny. Um, and <laughs> there was some point I realized, probably, yeah, after I converted to Christianity, I realized, you know what? I'm going to listen to Limp Bizkit and I'm going to like this band. I'm going to enjoy it. And they're still one of my favorite bands to listen to. They're so fun. Well, you know, it's It's like one of these things that I hope in some way, a lot of the people that have adopted like Catholicism or like trad culture yeah. or whatever, that have done it in, in a way that seems like ironically distanced and um, and maybe, yeah. not, maybe not actually earnestly feeling it, will someday be like, actually, I love... God. I like, I, I, Jesus is Lord and I love God. And, and all of this like, um, clowning online that I did, uh, and all of these memes that I made weren't maybe the best use of my time, but ultimately it led me to a point of enjoying something, rejoicing in something and praising worship, worshiping something that is truly good. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I hope so. Cause those like, you know, the like Jesus Chad memes and stuff, uh, they're, they're, kind, they're kind of fun, but I think a lot of people like that, that is their Christian identity is like the Jesus Chad memes and like the Pepe wearing the Pope hat and stuff. And, and it's like, yeah, that's that's who I am as a Christian. Uh, and yeah, I, I, it doesn't feel super genuine to me, but. It's almost like in my head, I have this picture of the political axis graph that people use all the time, the four squares. Yeah, and sure. like the north end of the graph is um, the like upper part of the graph is like a uh, new age uh, religion. And the, the lower part of the gra- graph is like uh, orthodox religion. And like the upper left is like Jesus Chad memes. And the upper right is like <laughs> uh, Christian, <laughs> Christian Instagram influencers or whatever. And then the bottom <laughs> left is like, uh, Catholic, traditional Catholic worship, and the bottom right is like traditional Lutheran uh, worship or Protestant <laughs> worship. I and we're that. all somewhere on this, we're all somewhere between the Jesus Chad memes and the Christian Instagram influencers and the the um, the Catholic priests and the, the devout Protestants. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a you, that's good, you should good make a chart out of that. That's, yeah, that's maybe I good. will. That's, yeah. that's going to be my, I'm, that's what I'm going to go viral for. Online. <laughs> um, well, it's it's interesting that we but we started talking about crying, right? Because yeah. this is this is something about um, there's something about these passages. Uh, obviously, the main uh, t- unifying factor in the two passages that we're going to talk about today, which is largely uh, Isaiah 65 17 through 25, and also Revelation 21 one through eight or so. Um, And the main unifying factor in these two is this is an image of the uniting of heaven and earth, the rebirth of um, 
of the man's connection with God, the reconnection of our, our like physical worlds, basically. It's essentially a doomsday prophecy. It's an end times yeah. prophecy, but it's not the doomsday end times prophecies of the tribulations and the battles and all and of the, the rapture. Yeah. All the ugly yeah. stuff that's, that's, um, that, you know, so many people focus on when they think about uh, and in times, they always think about that, like hellfire, brimstone, uh, yep. rapture, all of this stuff that's like very bleak and very dark. Um, but at the end of that, there is new heavens and a new earth, which is just the most beautiful image. And um, I don't know. I think we should just dive in. What do you yeah, think? Let's, let's get into it. Sure. Awesome. Uh, okay. So uh, at Isaiah 65, 17... The header is new heavens and a new earth. Just get my Bible. Oh, yeah, take your time. Get, make sure you get those page-turning sounds really loud. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll get nice and close. <laughs> um, wow. Uh, Isaiah 65. So the header is new heavens and a new earth. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. And we'll stop there. It's going to be a lot of pauses in this because yes. it's very, very dense language here. What was your first impression when you just like cracked it open and read this for the first time? I thought that was really beautiful. I, I wasn't actually super familiar with this. So, uh, you know, like on Christians Mingle, my other podcast, we've talked about some like revelation stuff before, but in a very like doomsday, uh, apocalyptic uh, everything's going to suck sense, but this is such a, uh, a great positive, uh, such a beautiful vision to, to, uh, to strive for. I love it. And this image of Jerusalem as the, essentially like the bride of God is mm -hmm. repeated and we'll see it repeated later on. Yep. Um, and we see, uh, in, in, in many places in the Bible that cities are cast with female pronouns, um, to mm -hmm. signify because because God always has male pronouns in most translations of the Bible to signify that this is like a union between the two. Yep. And um, we talked a little bit before we started the episode about um, the traditions of, of Christian um, marriage and the traditions of gender roles within Christianity and how women oftentimes people see Christianity, especially sort of orthodox versions of Christianity, and they think that it's like oppressive to women. Yeah. But you see here, God rejoices in Jerusalem and will be glad in the people. Mm. So it's not, you know, the idea, the, the holy idea of a relationship between a man and a woman is not like uh, men say what goes on and they have, you know, they've got all the power and women just kind of like cower in fear in the corner and go, okay, fine. Uh, exactly, it's, yeah. it's a mutual delight. It's a mutual love and a mutual rejoicing of that love. Yeah. It's a, it's a total celebration. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, we should, more people should think of love as a celebration. I feel like it would take a little yeah. bit of pressure off of us in relationships. Everybody gets so wound up about 
I mean, I, you know, I've been with my partner for so long. I, I'm, I've been out of the, the dating game and stuff, but it seems like people really get hung up on this. They get so nervous about impressing people and, uh, yep. and, and yeah, you want to make the right impression, but you, you really should just be looking for someone that you can delight in, that you can, you know, yep. that you can be with and worship and rejoice with and, and feel good with at all times. Yeah. And I, I, I totally agree, but, and I feel like somehow that concept is, is, is kind of weird or like, uh, or backwards for a lot of people, which I don't fully understand, but yeah. Isn't that love is to like, to really, I mean, that's what love is. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> it yeah. Should to, be. Want, to want to want to celebrate it. Cause I, I always see like, you know, just on, on Twitter and stuff, you know, uh, on the apps, uh, whenever someone tells a dating story or whatever, or a story with their partner, everything is very, very focused on, on them, the individual. It doesn't really seem like there's any, uh, concept of a union or, a or, a, or a unit or anything within, uh, a relationship. It, it kind of makes me sad. I saw, um, this is, I don't know if this is going to wind up getting cut or not because I'm not sure how relevant it is, but just discussing like how perverted and screwed up, um, love is in our modern society. I saw the beginning, just the clip someone had basically just screenshot at the beginning of this article, um, where this woman was, it was basically like a bragging kind of sounding, um, intro. I, I, think, I, I think I know what article this I, is. I'm sure you do because it was all over the place, but she's, she's writing this article about how brave she was to have emailed her uh, partner of some time and, and to break up with him because she wanted to be single and polyamorous. And, um, and what, a what a brave thing it was for her to do. It's like, you loved this person. Yeah. What part of you felt like that was your calling in this world? Like I, the whole, there was an, uh, there was a line strictly that said this does, how this doesn't mean I don't love you. Well, if you love them, what the hell in you is saying, uh, that this, this is your right pet. This is how you become liberated. Um, I mean, what a nightmare. Yeah, that's yeah, that, that 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 just makes me sad. I saw that, and I, I, yeah, it's just kind of upsetting. And it's not this one person, right? This is a cultural oh, it's, thing. It's 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 it seems pretty common that like now, uh, the the kind of status quo is to like be with someone, but with the idea that someone better might come along or something better could happen. You know, it, it doesn't matter uh, how much you love them or whatever. There are always metrics of attractiveness or, or, you know, financial stability or something that a lot of people just have in the back of their minds all the time. Yeah. And this to me is like the end game of all of the, um, the personality tests that people take all the time, like Enneagram tests and, and, um, Myers-Briggs tests and stuff like that is that like where we winnow our personalities and our relationships down to a series of like numbers and personality types and things like that. We ultimately create this system where it's like, well, we're not a perfect match, but it's good enough. And maybe someday my, my Taurus rising will meet my, you know, Capricorn, whatever. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It's, 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 it's this way of trying to, uh, categorize everything like rationally with, uh, you know, you know, like I, I think that the whole horoscope thing is just a way of like trying to put some like I, I don't even think it's really superstitious. I think it's a way of trying to rationalize and trying to be like scientific uh, to make things easier. But I don't think that's how love works or, or how relationships work or. Yeah. 
No, there's actually very little that's logical about love. And, no, no, exactly. Um, and, and the more that you can accept that and say that maybe love is a like delightful gift from God. I mean, look, I know I sound cringe saying this, but love is like <laughs> a wonderful gift from God that you might not need to just be second guessing all the time. Absolutely. That you, you might just want to um, accept and, and, and feel gracious and feel happy that you've been delivered someone who, who brings you joy. Uh, rather than trying to self-sabotage at every corner. But that's what we do best. We're human beings. Yeah, exactly. We're incredible at that. So that was a bit of a tangent, but let's jump back that's in right. at, um, at verse 20. No more shall there be in an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed odd language there. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Um, this sounds to me a bit like, okay, so this, well, in this new heaven, in this ideal situation, we no longer have children that don't live out their days, that, that get sick, um, and, and die young or, um, a man, an old man who, you know, might be enjoying his, his senior years, but, um, is sort of snatched away before his faculties are gone and, and, and he really is ready to go. And it's interesting to me that the Bible, after there's in the Old Testament, there's all these people that live for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah, like Methuselah. Uh, and yeah. yeah, Isaiah says the appropriate number of years for someone to live is 100 years. It always it always reminded me like um, the 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 Old Testament age thing. It always reminded me of being like a little kid and and being like, well, my dad is 200 years old. My dad's 500 years old. He's older than your dad. Uh, yeah. I think that um, there's like a number of theories, and this is probably another tangent, but there's a number of theories why uh, why it is that, that time is cast that way in the earlier parts of the Old Testament. And one of the theories is that um, because of the way that those people are still very, very close in proximity to the creation of the earth that um that like the concept of years wasn't quite hammered out yet and they were working on well is this was yeah he was super old he must have been 800 years old um uh or and this is an odd this is a weirder theory that um because of the way that the earth was created in you know in a sudden way that the the cosmos were created in a sudden way that time time and space were kind of bending and so right. like the the amount of time it took for the earth to go around the sun or um for humans to age was actually different because it's um because of the way that like creation had bent the 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 like the existence of time and space that's really that's really interesting i love i, I always love kind of semi crackpot ideas like that yeah i mean that's yeah. really like that's something you know i live in portland and we have a lot of like uh new agey stoner kind of yeah. philosophy going on here and that's that fits right in i think with that yeah. sort of mindset there's always an explanation um 
But the the next section in 21 into 22 and 23, it almost sounds like they are advocating for like a commune based, like the new heaven will be a commune where everyone grows what they eat and they build their own houses and they don't have to rent from anyone and no one takes their land. Mm. What did you think about that? That, that's kind of what I thought too. It, it, it almost is like an, an Anprim kind of vision. <laughs> um, uh, is, is that a, th- a thing in, in the scape of pure ideology, Christian anarcho-primitivists? I'm, I'm sure you can find it. Um, but yeah, that, that's, I, I mean, the they, they shall build houses and in, inhabit them and then they shall not build and another inhabit. That's a pretty unusual thing to read in the Bible, like a uh, almost like a legal framework i i'm that that really stands out to me as interesting it's like you said basically a, an anti-landlord kind of stance yeah isaiah, uh, through through isaiah god made it clear that uh landlords are not the move yeah landlords. Are, <laughs> yeah and and then my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands it is kind of like a you know the workers will own their their own work yeah, the workers will own the means yeah. of production. <laughs> I mean, now we're I, veering I, into communism a little bit here. <laughs> I, I try to be. I try to be pretty. Uh, I try. I try not to subscribe to the whole like. Uh, oh, Jesus was a socialist. Jesus was Black Lives Matter and stuff because it's like, well, you know, he he lived like two thousand years ago. I don't think that he was advocating for a twenty first century or a twentieth century uh, economic strategy in Jerusalem two thousand years ago, but. You know, there are things you can apply from that to fit uh, a modern solution to capitalism. I think that's fair. Yeah, I was just speaking with somebody else about this this morning, about how our notions of uh, the rules that we follow, um, the orthodoxy in the best way that we are able to muster orthodoxy is always going to be inherently flawed uh, as far as the interpretation of it, because I can guarantee you that at no point in the inspired creation of the Bible did any of the people that had a hand in writing this go, someday there's going to be something called an iPhone. And that iPhone will give people access to everything in the entire world, every kind of joy and every kind of indulgence and every kind of sin and every kind of, you know, terrible thing. It's all going to be in the palm of your hand. None of them had any concept of that. I'm certain of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, sin was probably a lot easier to avoid 2,000 years ago uh, than it is when it's like you just carry it everywhere. In in a way, it's like these early, um, these early uh, people had no concept of how bad sexual immorality was going to oh, be. Yeah. <laughs> they had yeah, no, no idea I'm, I'm, how bad uh, violence was going to be. They didn't even have a concept of it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, like, people often say like, oh, well, you know, the Bible's really violent, you know, like atheists and stuff. I, I would have used to say this, like, the Bible's really violent. People are dying all the time. What's well, like, look around you, buddy. Like, yeah. What was the death toll for uh, World War II? I mean, think, think about all these. Heaps. Like, yeah. <laughs> heaps. Think about, I mean, that's true. We can't even, we can't even fathom. We can't even put to paper the number of people that, um, that it's, you can kill with a with a snap of a finger, with the press of a button now, because yeah. um, you know. And look, there are different philosophies, and there's actually some Catholic teachings that I personally kind of disagree with about the notion of just war 
And, yeah, um, yeah, me too. And and it's a, it, it's a tricky topic. Surely I understand that. But have you? Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go on, go on. No, I was just saying that that like there's not really. Um, there's no concept of yeah. uh, the rules as they were written early on. There's really no concept for how far off track we were going to wind up. Absolutely, yeah. Have you have you read um, the Kingdom of God is Within You by Leo Tolstoy? I have not. It's really interesting. It's um, so obviously like Tolstoy, the guy who wrote War and Peace and stuff. Uh, he was a very uh, very committed Christian, and he basically had this uh, like Christian anarchist philosophy, basically that he wrote about in this book, where he just advocates for a totally nonviolent Christian society. Uh, I never finished that book actually, but I should give I should get back into it. I think you'd really that get something out of it. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um. But anyway, yeah, uh, another tangent. We should dive back in. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I keep I keep doing this like, oh, yeah, that reminded me of this other rant that I wanted right. to go on today. Um, That's why it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, at verse 24, I think is where we left off. Yep. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Yeah, that's such a a great, like I said before, just such a positive way to uh, imagine what the world is going to be like. Like, uh, I think that's like we talked about um, in N.T. Wright a little bit before we were, uh, uh, before we started recording and his whole thing is that, you know, particularly within American Protestantism, Christians are far too focused on being good so that they can like go to heaven when they die and not at all focused on uh, the new creation or the or the new earth that's going to come sometime in the future it's all like you know I've got 40 40 years left you know what can I do for for that period uh and, but but yeah I think this is such a a beautiful uh image of the distant future that I think uh it's kind of important to to keep in the back of our heads, like what could be better than that, you know? Well, I'm glad you brought up N.T. Wright because he, I mean, he's wildly smart um, and, and his interpretations of scripture are very intelligent. And if anyone out there hasn't uh, familiarized themselves with him, please do. But um, that notion of living for the next life, only only doing good here because you feel like it will give you a ticket into heaven is actually a sin that um, John Piper warns against in a sermon that I was um, watching earlier today about this same passage. Um, we shouldn't be focusing our lives and the good that we can contribute in this world on um, this sort of selfish endeavor to wind up in eternity um, in, in some other place. Because in the scripture here in Isaiah 65 and in Revelation 21, this is kind of clear about how heaven is not maybe for most of us going to be uh, some other place. It may actually just be here in this yeah. world. We may just be raised from the dead in mm. this world, whatever form that might take. Mm. Which is is why like, I, I almost feel like there's... Um, kind of you, you you know there are there are very personal uh kind of incentives 
that are often used, you know, for that ticket to heaven, you know, very transactional, like, uh, I'll, you know, give money to this homeless person. And then when I die, you know, I'll, I'll go meet the man in the sky, you know, whatever. Uh, I feel like passages like this, this kind of theology, um, lends itself to a much broader contribution. So, so, you know, I, like, like, I think the environment would be a good example. Like, um, uh, how, like, how is how is this going to happen if we don't take care of the environment and and like make our our earth beautiful? Like, a lot of us, for a lot of us, this is going to be uh, our home. Like, on the earth, we need to be doing what we can to protect it and uh, maintain it. Yeah, yeah, and and because this is this is the grounds for the new heaven. Let's let's please not screw this up too badly because um, yeah, this this might yeah. actually be somewhere where we need to stay for a while. Um, the the notion of uh, the breakdown of like predator prey um, hierarchies and things like that really fascinated me. It's saying that mm. you know um, that these animals that historically one will chase and kill the other, they'll eat together. They'll yeah, rejoice again. There's obviously a metaphor here with people um, and and how they treat each other too, right? Yep, totally. I, I, I've also heard people use that uh, as as like a vegan argument, so to say, like, well, in the new creation, we're not going to eat animals, so uh, let's you know stop doing it here. Which I, I'm not sure I entirely agree with because you know, like Jesus did declare all foods clean uh, in this current world that we're in so i'm not i'm not entirely sure about that but uh i definitely think you're right about the metaphor there like um it's 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 basically saying like why can't we all just get along you know buddy yeah and and that um in this new world those that were preying on others in this fallen world that we're in Mm. uh those that were preying on others will wind up having to feast with them so yeah. you know, <laughs> watch how you yeah. operate in this world. I, I think I, th- I think that's a good point. It's like, well, don't go overboard because you might have to, you know, have dinner with all of those cows you ate someday. Yeah, yeah. Um, you think you're a wolf, but uh, yeah, you know, yeah. you might have to eat with a lamb eventually. Yeah. Uh, the the voice translation has a nice kind of like paraphrasing of this. It says they'll all eat together like friends, wolf and lamb, lion and ox, and the biting snake will feed on dust. When that day arrives, there will be no evil, no violence, no hurt or wrong in all my sacred mountain. That's really, that's really cute. It is. Uh, and, and they worded it very, um, it kind of rolls off the tongue a little bit more, I think, than the ESV. Yeah. Um, what I don't like is that they... They replace the serpent with the biting snake because the serpent right. specifically is an image of the devil or evil yep. or however you however you like imagine the the opposite of good the opposite of God uh, is the serpent right the serpent that tempted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden the serpent yep. that um, that this is this is like this. Um, s- this image throughout the Bible of the, the serpent is the one that tempts the ser- serpent is the one that, that draws you towards hell. Uh, and then in this new heaven, the serpent is still there, but he's eating dust. Yeah. He's eating dust. <laughs> and that sucks. I wouldn't want to eat dust. That's eat my dust. Serpent. Yeah. yeah. What if, uh, what, what replacing get behind me, Satan with eat my dust. Ser- serpent. Eat my- yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean that really is the same 
phrase if we're, yeah. if we're really hammering it down. Um, there is uh, not much variance between the ESV and the NRSV uh, in the in the translation here for Isaiah. Uh, the only note footnote that I saw um, that I kind of gave me pause was that uh, that the footnote for sixty five seventeen through nineteen says, "Heaven and earth will be transformed. God will rejoice with Jerusalem. Her mourning is over. Her mourning is over." Uh, so much of the Old Testament is um, the the Israelites, the Jews suffering <laughs> and, yeah. being pu- and being put Re- upon really, and really being exiled and, be- yeah. and and um and so Isaiah is here to say in like a major way like I know this sucks but trust me it's gonna get so much better yeah and, and like obviously that's uh I mean I I can't really it's it's not something I know too much about and probably not something I should speak at length about but um uh I know that like a uh, Holocaust theology is kind of its own area because obviously like that happening raises so many questions, uh, you, you know, cause like obviously one of the uh, biggest arguments is, you know, how could God let bad things happen? But that was a really, really bad thing to, you know, supposedly the, supposedly God's cho- chosen people. So in the, in the uh, aftermath of that and during that um, a lot of discussions had to be had about, you know what that actually means and i think that uh yeah i i i think that that is kind of a reassuring little piece there there's um there's a section in kingdom values which i think i brought up on an episode a couple of weeks Mm. ago um from john tyson and Susie silk it says the arrival of god's kingdom was good news to the first century jewish world and should be good news to us the prophet Isaiah's later writings describe what the world will be like when God reigns as king. There will be salvation, righteousness, and justice, peace, joy, God's presence, healing, and a return from exile. When God establishes his kingdom, every sector of society benefits, and there is both human and natural flourishing. Um, so the animals are happier too. It's not just it's not just the yep. humans, but the animals are yep. are stoked on it too, which uh, having um, and I talked about this a little bit on an episode prior, but having just lost a, a pet, uh, to hear that in this new heaven that the animals can be happy and can be there with us too is just really reassuring to me. Definitely, yeah. I I, I think it's like I said before, it, it's it's cute. You know, I want to hang out with my like you know my my dog died about a year ago. I want to I want to hang out with the my dog in heaven. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that um, passages like this give us so much hope. They give us so much. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and and there are different ways to interpret scripture. There's ways to interpret it in in a literal way and, and a metaphorical way, and sort of this sort of sidelined like some of it's going to be fully literal, and some of it's going to be just kind of metaphorical. And and typically the prophets and revelation more often than not get interpreted in a, in a metaphorical way. They, right. um, people take the images from this and they go, okay, but that's not exactly what they're saying, right? <laughs> they're saying, yep. you can't have it both ways, okay? <laughs> if you're going to interpret exactly, exactly. the Bible literally, you have Pick to interpret one. it literally. So yep. let me have this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, like, uh, what's like, it's like, uh, what's that saying? Like the Bible isn't a book, it's a library. So you can look at, you can look at, a book and say, well, this is a historical document. This is, uh, you know, 
prediction of the future. But so maybe there can be a little bit of leeway between those in in what's literal or not. But you can't just go between passages like, well, this sentence is literal, but here it actually means, you know, pick one, buddy. Yeah, he meant this, but he didn't mean this. Uh, and, and that's that this definition of the Bible as the inspired word of God is like, to right. me, the easiest one to reconcile because there are definitely parts of the Bible that challenge me greatly. Mm. But um, it is such a fuzzy description of what this actually means. Yeah. And I do feel like that's generally just used to fit Christianity in with some like modern ideology. So either like capitalism or uh liberalism or whatever uh people will always uh see what they want to see so yeah just you know take make make of it what you will yeah (laughs) um okay so let's skip ahead uh we're gonna get to revelation 21 1 Uh, satan has been defeated um the battles are over and now we see a um, the, the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy from Isaiah sixty-five seventeen yep. in Revelation 21. The header's the same, the new heaven and the new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Yeah, so this obviously mirrors that Isaiah passage a little bit. So it's got that same uh, uh, husband and wife language, but I really like how it's a little bit more specific with um, the, he, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. I read that and that, that made me want to cry a little bit, you know, it was a, a very beautiful, very kind of cathartic. Oh, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, it really just, the, the the image of the actual process of the joining of heaven and earth is is it's kind of very different from what Isaiah describes, but the end result is still the same. Yeah, we're not in in this new heaven, in the heaven that that we all will eventually inhabit. Um, maybe not the one that we go to now. Um, and it's weird to think of this as modular, right? It's weird to think of this as movable, but. Yep. Um, but in this new heaven, you won't even be sad anymore. You won't even feel loss. You won't feel uh, pain. Um, you won't mourn those that have died that you've known that you ha- or that you've lost the, because all of that's gone. The history is like wiped clean. It's like a clean yeah. slate. It's all gone. That's, that kind of idea of total rebirth is uh, so beautiful. Like, you know, I, I guess – both of us would probably hesitantly describe ourselves as like born again Christians. Like obviously that, that comes with some other connotations, but baggage. Yeah. Yeah. For some sure. baggage, <laughs> but, but um, it, it is, it, it is kind of accurate 
Uh, but this is a way of like really, really genuinely being born again with, uh, that's so like freeing. I, I saw, you know, I'm a, on Facebook, I'm in a lot of like, uh, and I should probably get out of them cause they're not really positive spaces. Like, um, uh, theism versus atheism like things and i watched like the boomers argue uh this is kind of funny <laughs> and i saw someone saying like um the idea of like being like forced to be happy for all eternity is the most miserable punishment i can ever think of it's like what what are you talking about that's awesome i want that that rules yeah, that rocks. how could that possibly be bad yeah and it's it's just an incredible um this this notion that even the end to us is not the end uh, of ends, and that it will end, and then it will end again, and then again. it will become yeah. uh, it will become new again. We will be born again. We will all be born again. Yeah, uh, not in the sense of someone who comes to Jesus later in their life and, and is baptized, and that's a beautiful thing, but yep. that the entire old order of things will die. The entire old world will die. Yep. And it will all become new again. And um, the way I heard it described from one comment, commenter was like, was that each uh, each person that died before they got to old age would see that life through and then return to a point where they were at their healthiest, most vital, and their right. happiest. That every child that died before they could grow old would would be... Uh, would be immediately reborn into a body that was mature and, and intelligent and healthy and vital. That this is every single ideal outcome that could possibly come from this is that's what happens here. That's what's yeah. going on here. Yeah. Like every, everything good will happen. It's it's like that rocks. <laughs> it's I, it's I just so cool. <laughs> I mean, it is. It's, it's, really it's, cool. it's really. It's really. It's really sick. Uh, <laughs> I should. I should actually mention, kind of related to that, the the way that I visualize, like the uh, the new heaven and the new earth. The way that I think of it is like, um, if you've seen like a Creed music video, um, like this the CGI like mountains <laughs> and fields and stuff. That's just what I have in my head. I think that's what it's meant to be. But like, with. with you know, the technology that they had in 2003 or whatever. I think that's what they were trying to do. Uh, that's just always what I think of. Uh, but I'm cool with that because I love yeah, Creed. Yeah, don't we so. all want to inhabit a Creed music video? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hang out with Scott Starp in heaven. <laughs> he might have some answering to do about all of his Christ posing. I mean, I, I think there's going to be a little bit of a conversation to be had about were you um, – relaying the message of jesus or were you trying to be jesus yeah it, it is a little weird how much he like martyrs himself in the lyrics but you know i think he'd also have to answer for that sex tape of his but you know oh uh, goodness yeah. <laughs> i have you know i haven't seen it because i i don't search up things like that but nope. allegedly it's it's with um it's with him and kid rock and like some groupies which is just ridiculous but you know that's disturbing. Yeah, that it's disturbing. Very disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, the voice translation says to here. Um, they always cut where where God is speaking, or there's like a direct message from God. They like write it out like dialogue in a play. Oh, okay. Um, yep. And it says, "See, the home of God is with His people. He will live among them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them." The prophecies are fulfilled. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more, mourning no more, crying no more, pain no more. For the first things have gone away. And the one who sat on the throne announced to his creation. And we'll jump back into, um, let's see. Yeah, five. That's where that was. At verse five. So here's a weird thing that I noticed. And I don't know, what translation do you usually read when you read the Bible? I've got an ESV. The ESV ESV. is the only thing I've read um, since like becoming like a born again Christian, if you want to call it that. When I was like, you know, trying to disprove Christian arguments when I was like, 13 or whatever, I was reading a King James, so, so I have some level of familiarity with that, but not recently. And the King James, I found, it's like always going to be, I think, the most popular English yeah, Bible yeah. in many ways, but it's just too, it just sounds cryptic to me now. And and there's, the the pendulum swings too far in the other direction sometimes with like the contemporary English version yeah, and the message yeah. and things like that. But I Yeah, because I, I appreciate the way on your show you, you use the, uh, the different translations and so... Uh, the bits of like the voice and stuff that I've heard have been pretty good, but uh, I I I've, I know that in some other parts of the Bible there are like uh, like with dialogue and stuff, there's like slang, like modern slang and stuff like that. So I don't know. <laughs> it's there's a there's a fine line that you have to walk between. Well, we need to connect to a modern audience, right? For someone that hasn't already joined the church or hasn't maybe accepted like Jesus into their lives or whatever, um, hasn't become, you know, part of our um, uh, incredible movement of people that like recognize Jesus for what he did and and for, you know, the incredible things that have happened. That you have to kind of snare people a little bit sometimes. Like that sounds shifty, right? Yeah. I'm not trying to say that like we're trying to hoodwink people into becoming Christians, but Mm. if you plop uh, uh, an old timey Bible down in front of somebody, um, they will. They, speaking of eye rolling, they're much more likely to just roll their eyes and go, "I don't understand any of this. Yeah, uh, this is confusing. I don't get it." And then they will walk away. But maybe if they can find a literary approach to it that connects with them, then perhaps they will connect with it in a meaningful way. Yeah, that's actually. Kind of a reason why, like, we're both fans of the uh, the Boys Bible Study podcast where they talk about Christian movies, and uh, it's it's kind of a shame to me that uh, most Christian movies are or contemporary ones are a little bit like laughable, a little silly, <laughs> uh, because because like if you're trying to take that approach, there's there's probably like three Christian movies or something that you could show to a non-believer and have them go, oh yeah, this is pretty cool. Uh, and they and they pretty much all be like uh, direct like Bible retellings. So like um, I don't know. I know the Passion of the Christ is a big one. I'm not I'm not a huge fan of it personally. Uh, I think it leans too heavily on the horror kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, I I don't know. I just I felt like it was all kind of tribulation, but didn't really uh, have you know the love that probably should be felt uh, when telling that story. And I guess there's <laughs> stuff like the Ten Commandments and stuff. You know, older stuff. And more like postmodern, like the last temptation of Christ. Uh, but yeah, I, I kind of wish there was something, maybe, maybe like an ESV of Christian movies, you know, something that's pretty accessible, uh, but has a good amount of the word in it uh, that isn't super archaic and also isn't uh, really silly like a, a, a Kevin Sorbo movie. Yeah. I was going to say, if, there, if there's anything even close to like a mainstream success Christian movie, 
it would be God's Not Dead. I think that was probably the one that, that yeah, was the most yeah. popular that he did. But yeah. it is to non-believers or to people that are like not uh, tuned in to the message. Most, I think people would watch that and be like, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think there was also, um, uh, was it The Shack or something? That was pretty popular. Uh, I think those two are probably the big ones. They're making a God's Not Dead 4. I saw... Um, oh, they're at David, 4 now. Yeah, David David A.R. White is posting on his Instagram about it. His Instagram's really good. Um, maybe maybe the like Christian movie that is going to snare the most uh, new new eyes is one that is so obscure and bizarrely Christian that um, people don't even really understand the message is Assassin oh, 33 yeah. AD. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good point. <laughs> By far one of the strangest things I've ever, I think I've ever sat all the way through and watched all the way through. And I haven't actually seen it. That, that, that's the uh, Lego one, right? No, 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 no. Oh. Okay. Oh. That one is bizarre too. <laughs> it's okay. a different kind of bizarre. <laughs> uh, and I think I'm getting the name right, but, and we'll cut this out if I don't, but Assassin 3380 is about oh, um, okay. these guys that um, they're, I think it's like supposed to be ISIS or something that is building a time machine to go back in time and kill Jesus before he gets crucified so that he never, oh. people never see that he is Lord and that he, you know, raises from the dead and things like that. Yeah. I, I need to watch that. That sounds amazing. It, I mean, it, I it, hope it, you're prepared. I, I, I'm not <laughs> recommending this because I think you're really going to enjoy it, but it's a very bizarre experience. Yeah. The, the, um, the Islamic terrorist angle in a lot of Christian movies is, uh, is pretty interesting. Like it's ugly. I mean, it's really it's, ugly. I mean, come on. The um the Nic- the Nicholas Cage Left Behind movie. If you've seen that, um, you know, it's set on a plane like during the rapture, uh, and like the pilot gets raptured and stuff. And so on the plane, there's like Nicholas Cage, a stripper, a drug addict, um, and and like a Muslim who's like stereotyped to be like ISIS, <laughs> and it's uh it's. It's and it, but it's like a, uh, you know, it's it's all set in like the plane, so it's like their interactions and stuff. It's yeah, it's it's an interesting little watch. I think that in hindsight, at least I hope that in hindsight, people will look back on the early two thousands and even into like, you know, the early twenty tens. Christianity, mainstream Christianity, megachurch Christianity, got really racist against yeah, Muslims yeah. and and that helps absolutely no one. Yeah. Uh, no. It, it isn't first of all like respectful of uh the fact that these people came out of the same faith tradition as Christians. Yeah. <laughs> like uh yeah, they took a different turn, but in reality I I could I can't for a second respect anybody that will um mock Muslims or, or disrespect Muslims in this way and then turn around and um, defend the, the Jewish nation of Israel. That's, that's, it's, that's, that's the weird no thing. I was, I was about to bring that up. Uh, I guess a lot of evangelicals uh, support Israel for kind of sinister reasons uh, I, because I, I think it's kind of a revelational kind of clause that uh, uh, everyone will be raptured as when uh, you know, Israel has to exist, but then I think also it's like they also believe that all the Jewish people in Israel will die, so it's like kind of a sinister uh belief there. But then it's like Christianity has a lot more in common with Islam, well, not really actually, because half of it is Judaism, but I think in terms of uh, the practices and 
the the way that they think about things. Uh, I think that Muslims and Christians have a lot of common ground, uh, and I've talked to some Muslims and found that yeah, we, we we had a lot in common. I mean, like Muslims even believe in like in like um, veneration of Mary and stuff. Like it's it's pretty. Uh, yeah, it's really not that alien or, or anything like a lot of uh, like white evangelicals seem to think it is. Yeah, a lot of people just seem to forget that this is like um, the same faith tradition where Christians believe, and I would I would say like with my own personal belief, I think that we rightly believe that like Jesus Christ was the Son of God, part of the Triune God, and um, and uh, was sacrificed to allow for the forgiveness of sins forever. Um, and Muslims saw Jesus as like a groovy guy, like Isaiah or, um, you know, another prophet that had a lot of really good things to say. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But that the, like the true prophet came a little bit later Yep. and, um, and yeah, I mean, there's gotta be a way I think for people to, um, if you see yourself as the, um, if you see yourself as the one that's that's right, uh, you better be careful with how you treat the people that you think are wrong, because eventually you're going to have to be eating dinner with them, you, you wolves. You're going to have to eat dinner with these lambs. I, I, I think that bit of Isaiah, like I, I didn't really read too heavily into that, but you've mentioned it like that twice now. Uh, and I think that's a something that can absolutely be applied to you know, obviously the uh, the new earth is something that we can assume is going to be pretty far in the future. But I think that's something that uh, is really helpful to apply to our everyday lives. Like that's uh, a good way to think about uh, to a good way to think about things when you're uh, uh, talking with other people, especially people you might disagree with. Uh, good thing to keep in the back of your head. So we're going to jump back in at verse five, and um, the reason why I brought up uh, the different translations earlier was because I found something interesting about this section in the ESV. And my ESV, and I think most of them, have the words of Jesus written in red text. Um, And here we have a quote that isn't in red, and yet it, it seems to me like this is Jesus speaking. It says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. It is done. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Um, so early on in Revelation... One, uh, Jesus is referred to as the Alpha and the Omega. He refers to himself as the Alpha and the Omega. So that that isn't red texted here is odd to me. Um, did you pick up on that? Like this is Jesus talking, right? Or is it not? Well, my ESV actually isn't red texted, um, but that's really interesting. Uh, it, it, it's it's kind of uh, it's almost like. It's kind of haunting, but kind of beautiful to see this uh, uh, sort of vision of uh, a future Christ uh, who, who, who is never actually said to be Christ, but it's pretty clearly implied. There's something very, uh, very powerful about that. 
and and in other parts of the Bible too, in the red text Bibles, that yep. um, Jesus uh, Jesus's words are red, but God's aren't. Like in the Old Testament, right, right, uh, right. very very bizarre phenomenon. So maybe this is saying that like this is uh-huh. reinforcing the idea of the Trinity. Is that yep. earlier on this was Jesus? We saw Jesus, and Jesus was saying this: "I am the Alpha and the Omega." And here, because of this reference to "I will be His God and He will be My Son," that mm. maybe the person that's talking here is God, not Jesus. But God is Jesus, right? Right. Yeah, I I, I like that. I think you might be right there. That it's um, uh, yeah, just reinforcing that. Uh, idea that Jesus is God, which a lot of people seem to forget uh, for whatever reason. I also, um, I, I only found out like, like just because it was one of those like language things people say, but I hadn't really looked into it. Uh, I didn't realize that Alpha and Omega was like the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. Yeah. So it is, it's like totalizing. Um, and that actually reminded me of, um, uh, there's this Rene Girard essay called uh, The Evangelical Subversion of Myth, where he's talking about, um, uh, I've got it here. It's a, a line from Luke. Uh, this generation will be charged from the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the foundation of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, where it's like the first and last murders of the Bible, uh, just like that, or of the Hebrew Bible, just oh, that wow. complete totalizing uh, way of looking at things comes up a couple times in the Bible. And it's um, it's it's very powerful, like, it's just that, like, uh, uh, God is everywhere. He 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 is total. He is totalizing. He's all encompassing. Uh, and I hadn't really, uh, I hadn't understood that until I looked up uh, the Alpha and Omega thing. Uh, but yeah, that adds such a beautiful level to it. That um, a lot of people ask, like, uh, especially in like criticisms of the creation story, right? That well, if in the beginning, it was just God. Like, what was there? Nothing else. It was just God, and God was alone. And w- right. where was God? And ha- they they have trouble imagining this plane of existence wherein God is there, but nothing else is. And maybe that notion then uh, could be that God is always and forever, and it's not a place or a plane or a time where God existed and nothing else did, but that God is God and God is forever. Yeah. And anything that exists between, uh, between the beginning of the earth and, and our galaxy and the universe. And at the end of that, um, that is essentially a flash in the pan to the eternal God, to the God that exists outside of time and space. And, um, is that sort of creator, um, and this, this, and, and it makes sense to me that the father figure is used because a lot of people know their fathers well through their lives. Although a lot of people lose their fathers earlier on in their lives, so I'm sure that metaphor is a little more troubling to them. Yeah. But um, the father in the family unit is usually that one goes to even in adulthood uh, for advice, um, for sympathy, for help, um, for strength. And so that's why I think so much that that metaphor is used. It's not that literally God birthed us, uh, or or was the um, the 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 sperm that became the birth for yeah, us. Yeah. <laughs> it's that 
um, God is this stabilizing, strong, and long-living presence in our lives. Um, the longest, actually. Mm, I had yeah. this, I had a really big um, kind of like moment. I was reading about, reading about this particular, this particular sentence is talking about the, the eternity, the alpha and the omega, and, and thinking about our time on earth as ephemeral and short. And thinking about the, the multitude of disasters that occur in this world at all times, and, and thinking about all of the planets that have come and gone, even in the course of the time that Earth has been around, that we feel like, oh, since the beginning of recorded history, which is like, great, the beginning of recorded history, when was that? Because, you know, yep. time is infinite. <laughs> so we might feel like uh, we have a basis for, um, uh, you know, well, this is a really long time. No, nothing that exists here, nothing that happened on Earth was a really long time ago. Um, yeah. So there's no reason why um, we have existed for as long as we have. There's no reason why we haven't been destroyed yet other than the strength and the nurturing power of God. There is no, there is no reason why a, a stray asteroid in the, in the millions of years that uh, if, you know, depending on your beliefs structure uh, <laughs> regarding history in the millions of years that earth itself has been a ball, um, uh, that an asteroid hasn't taken the thing out and destroyed it. What, what reason do we have to think that there isn't something that's protecting us? What reason do we have to think that there isn't something that's watching over us? Because yeah. we, we have done, like, you know, we do live in a society, of course, um, <laughs> but but um, uh, I think, I think we, we, we've done reasonably well considering how long we've been around. Like, the fact that we are still around is... Well, I guess it's it's nothing short of a miracle, right? Like, uh, and when you and when you look at um, you know, the chances of, you know, because like you know, I, I do believe in evolution. Uh, when you look at the actual uh, chances of of there being a planet uh, that exists in where it does in the optimum conditions for like bacteria to evolve to create us, and we can you know make friends with each other and build houses and stuff. That's insane. That's that's ridiculous. Um, uh, it and uh, yeah, I, I I don't see a possible explanation for that other than that. Yeah, we have we have a protector, like and and uh, we yeah we 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 have someone uh, or something uh, looking over us, and yeah. One of the more blasphemous beliefs that I hold in the views of the Catholic Church, at least, <laughs> is that I think that there are planets. Uh, other than ours that have life in a way that's similar to ours. I don't think that necessarily yeah. there's yeah. anything quite like the human race in all of the universe. I don't think that there's another earth with people um, a as entertaining as, um, you know, Twilight Zone episodes are and things like that. I think that there's a very real possibility that there is other life in other in other places with sentient beings and, and beings that maybe have created in their own way, a spiritual connection to God, like right. we have as human beings. Um, but again, major heresy, right? Not, not, <laughs> not, uh, uh, approved thought here. Yeah. That's but, not in the catechism. No, no, certainly not. But the, um, 
the 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 thing that hits me is that we had this this incredible luck of having like a visit from God, a physical visit from God, like somebody who was here to talk with people and shake their hands, um, and and of course we killed him because this is the world that this is what right. we had done for right. ourselves. This is the world yeah. that we create for ourselves. Going back to the kin- kingdom values book that I quoted earlier, they say in, in regards to uh, revelation 21, they say right now we still live in a world where Satan and sin are present and active. We live in a broken world of systemic injustice and unrighteousness. Even though as Christians, we are no longer slaves to sin. Ultimately, Jesus will return and cleanse the world of all sin, injustice, and sorrow. In the meantime, though, his people, God's kingdom, is currently advancing, shining light in the dark corners of our world until all the earth is rid of the presence of wickedness. So, like, we had this incredible creation. We are an incredible creation. And we've screwed it up so massively uh, that our hope should lie in doing what we can for each other, and hoping that this new heaven and new earth includes us, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. And again, we see this this image of he'll wipe away every tear from the eyes and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. As someone who's done a fair share of crying in the last few <laughs> months, yep. I, it's not that I don't like the release of tears. It's mm. not that I don't feel better when I when I'm done crying, but, um, it hurts to be alive sometimes. (laughs) It really does hurt. We feel these, we experience these losses and someday all of that loss will be taken away from us. Yeah. And who doesn't want that? Cause it's sick. It's sickening, dude. It's, (laughs) it's, it's lit. I think would be the word that it's lit. I, I saw some, um, like Bible translation for kids thing that was like calling God like G man and, and stuff and oh, no. saying like lit lit fam and uh, <laughs> oh, no. we're back to the Chris, Christian Instagram influencers. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's 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 top right. Um, <laughs> okay. I uh I don't know if we um did we cover everything that you wanted to talk about with this? Was there yeah, anything else yeah, you wanted to bring so. up? I think so, yeah. Um why don't you give uh, plugs. You got anything you want to plug? Any projects? Sure. Or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, you can listen to my podcast with my friend Nadia, who was also a guest on this show a couple of weeks back. It's called Christians Mingle, and we talk about um, uh, well, basically, we find funny Christian posts online and we read them. Uh, it's mostly meant to be comedy, but we get into a little bit of uh, theology. Like we sometimes talk about the errors in some, especially like boomers and stuff. Uh, a lot of uh silly posts we see but it's it's mostly lighthearted and there's a lot of jokes and stuff uh you can also follow me on uh letterboxd i guess i know ash plug who was on here earlier plugged that um it's like just a movie rating site uh and that's kind of where i'm most active because i like to watch movies uh so it's just at nick morrow if you want to check me out there uh christians mingle is a really uh really good show 
and uh, more people should be listening to it. So please, everyone Thank seek you. it Thank out. You. I know it's on SoundCloud and I I think I've, are you on the Apple podcast now? Yeah, or did yeah, I copy? Okay. yeah we're, we're on Apple and Spotify as well. Um, so, so check it out. And, and the yep. perspectives there are intelligent um, and it's very funny. And frankly, we need more joy in our lives. Enough of the tears already. <laughs> we need more, <laughs> we need more laughs. And um, so... So that that's that's all I had. I have a poem today. Um, yeah, beautiful. It's an interesting one. Uh, usually, I'll read like a published poem from a from a poet or an author. But I was turned on to this story. Um, there was a mathematician and scientist named Blaise Pascal, uh, course, who yeah. was a very famous. Obviously, he um, made the uh, one of the first or the first prominent mechanical calculator. Which, um, which obviously led to all kinds of mathematical tools for people. So a science guy, right? And, and of course, all of us in the modern world think science is at odds with faith. But Blaise actually came to Christianity a little later in his life and um, really embraced it, uh, was w- actually working on a book which was essentially like a, uh, a defense of Christian faith from a, from a a scientific perspective. And uh, he was working on that when he died. But um, after he died, they found a poem that he'd written. Mm. This is a poem that was sewed into his coat. Um, and so that's the poem I would like to read today. Great. Obviously, there's no title because it was just something that someone had sewed into their, into their coat. Yeah. <laughs> God of Abraham... God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned. God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. He is only found by the ways taught in the gospel. Grandeur of the human soul. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. This is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and the one that you sent, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. I left him, I fled him, renounced him, crucified. Let me never be separated from him. Thanks, everybody. Everyone's quiet when the record ends. Everyone's quiet. When the record ends Oh, it's tragically December tonight I said, let's stay in I'll cook you dinner Anything to eat sometime Let's stay in tonight Pajamas so big on you Oh, bar light and smoke My hand on the small of my back The Old Testament in a tar And a 
gesture giving me away I can't wait to get the okay to get talking